0: Live from Southern California,
1: this is the Jim Rome Show. So why don't we start Major League Baseball? Had itself another awesome day yesterday, and I'm not even talking about something genuinely good. Like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. treating Yankee Stadium like his own personal launching pad. Three swings and about a quarter of a mile worth of home runs. Pretty cool. cool. But pretty pretty cool. But in true baseball fashion... That was not the biggest story in baseball. Nope. The biggest story was Clayton Kershaw getting pulled in the middle of a perfect game. Getting lifted after seven perfect innings, 13 strikeouts, and only 80 pitches. The second biggest story, of course, all these dopes going in on Dave Roberts. Again, if you think that the Dodgers manager was the problem yesterday, you don't know Jack. Dave Roberts was not the problem. Baseball is the problem. And I'm not saying that because Dave Roberts is on the show later today. I'd still be saying that if he never came on this show ever again. I would still say this if I never spoke to Dave Roberts ever again. I'm saying this knowing that it means I'm disagreeing with a lot of people in baseball and who cover baseball, that I like, that I respect. Guys who have been on this show. Guys who have been in the smack-off. I know I'm disagreeing with legends like Reggie Jackson, Jackson. Fergie Jenkins. Jenkins? Jackson? Jenkins? Jackson? What I'm saying to you is I know there are a lot of people who are getting all emotional and all bent about missing out on this chance to see history. And they feel like Dave Roberts somehow robbed Kershaw and the fans, and the sport of a chance to see something so special and that the sport needs moments like that. Listen, I know baseball needs more buzz. I know baseball needs to give its fans something to get hyped about. <laughs> Trust this, nobody knows that more than me. I've been banging that drum louder and harder than anybody for years. However, Clayton Kershaw potentially blowing out his arm in April is not going to help that sport. Hell, Kershaw throwing a perfect game in April isn't even going to help that sport. Do you think baseball is just going to turn back into our national pastime? Because Clayton Kershaw threw a perfect game against the Minnesota Twins on a getaway Wednesday in April? You think people are going to start throwing away their NFL and NBA gear and lining up to buy tickets because one dude had one good afternoon, one time? I mean, come on with that. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on with that. Come on. It took a hell of a long time for the folks in charge to destroy this sport. And it's going to take a hell of a lot more than nine great innings to undo all of that. So yesterday was not a Dave Roberts problem. That is a baseball problem. That's an owner problem. Hope that lockout was worth it, losers. Because we've already had pitchers pulled in two no-hitters and a perfect game in less than a week. Fat asses. And all of that was in the NL West alone. Hope it was worth it to alienate your remaining fans with the lockout and then to piss them off when you came back because the players weren't actually ready. However, at least give the commissioner a little bit of credit because he gave the players some noise-canceling headphones. So they got that going for them, which is nice. Man, I'm telling you, I'd scream this from the rooftops, and I will right now. Pulling Kershaw was the right move. It was. It was. Even if I'm the only one saying it. Except I'm not. You know who else is saying it? The dude who got pulled. That's right. Kershaw himself agreed with the move. He said, quote, This was the right choice. End quote. There it is. Clayton Kershaw said it was the right choice. Jim Rome agrees. No, correction. Jim Rome said it was the right choice. And Clayton Kershaw agrees. But if you want more, here's more. Here's Kershaw himself. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have stayed, but bigger things, man. Bigger things. Exactly. Bigger things, man. Bigger things. You know, as in trying to win the World Series, trying not to destroy his arm. But you're going to get all worked up about this guy not being tough enough or about Dave Roberts wrecking your day. (laughs) Wrecking your day or whatever the hell has you in your own feelings. Listen, we're talking about a guy who dealt with a left forearm injury last season. He missed the postseason. A dude who had a PRP injection in October. He didn't even pick up a baseball until January. Seems to me y'all have a hell of a high threshold for his pain. The guy didn't pick up a ball until January, but you want to run him onto the field as if going for a perfect game is going to save a perfectly horrible sport or somehow maybe make your existence a little less miserable. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Come on. You're selfish. You're selfish as hell. You are selfish, but he himself is not. He knows better.
2: But at the end of the day, those are individual things. Those are selfish goals, and we're trying to win. That's really all we're here for. And as much as I would have wanted to do it, I've, I've thrown 75 pitches
1: in a sim game, you know? and. I hadn't gone six innings, let alone seven. And sure, I would have loved to have do it. But, you know, maybe we get another chance. Who knows? All right, so there you have it right there. And don't come in here and tell me, what do you expect him to say, Rome? No, he means that. He means that. And he laid it out perfectly. He said, I hadn't even gone six, let alone seven. And I did it in a sim game. According to The Athletic, you need more? You need more, here's more. According to The Athletic, Robert spoke to Kershaw after the sixth, asked him how long he wanted to go. Kershaw said he did not want to go beyond 85 pitches. So, if you've got an issue with anyone, it's not the manager, it's the pitcher. He said he wanted to come out. And if the pitcher does not have a problem with it, why do any of you? Kershaw is the one who had the perfect game working. If he's not pissed, why are you? Like, how the hell do you take something that has absolutely nothing to do with you and make it about you? (laughs) That's pretty funny. I mean, believe me, baseball still has a bleep ton of problems. A bleep ton of problems. But pulling Kershaw during a perfect game, especially when he wanted to be pulled ultimately, is not one of them. And neither is Dave Roberts. Man, that bleep ain't broke. Baseball is... But that isn't. And leaving Kershaw out there at age 34. 34. And coming off injury in a shortened spring training to chase something that was going to make you happy, <laughs> make you happy, but maybe wreck his season, sure as hell is not helping that sport. If you want to keep coming in here and telling me that the sport needed it. You know what the sport did not need? That guy blowing out his arm in the middle of April. So all of you crying about this need to get over yourselves, especially since it's got nothing to do with you. It's the right call. Bigger things. They made the right call. Bigger things, man. Bigger things, man. Hey, clones, what do we want when we're craving protein and we need more energy? I'll tell you what we don't want. Bars, sugary snacks, energy drinks. Nah, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. No, Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and tasty. It's never tough. So why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. In other words, they take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, with your beef? Their manager, of course, is Dave Roberts. David, it's great to have you back. How are you?
2: Romy, I'm doing fantastic, man. Uh, Thanks for having me. Good to catch you up.
1: It is so good to get caught up with you, Dave. Appreciate it so much, as always. So you've got the home opener tonight, but can you take me back to yesterday? I'm curious, what kind of thoughts were you having as you watched Clayton Kershaw going through the first five innings?
2: You know what? I had a lot of thoughts. Uh, I didn't really think about it. Uh, You know, it was more of going through the first five innings, um, kind of figuring out how we're going to use the pen uh, to cover the last four. And, um, I, and then as he kept throwing the baseball and obviously throwing the baseball really well, um, and, and being perfect through five, um, and the sixth inning, um, obviously very efficient. And, uh, so I approached him after that six and just trying to figure out where he was at and, uh, what his mindset was, because obviously we went into a game plan on how we were going to use him, uh, the pitch count, the up and downs. And the last game he threw was a simulated game against his own teammates. So there's no adrenaline there either. So, at that point, he was like, you know what, let me get through the seventh and uh, get to 85 pitches, something like that, and then that'll be good. Um, and so that, that's kind of where I was at. And so I think, Romy, it's it's one of those things where you look at the short view where it's 80 pitches and in a vacuum, that's not a lot, but 80, it, it, to what cost was in my head and, and obviously Clayton's head as well. Is it going to be 110 to finish a game or to give yourself a chance to do this? Um, and then it could be... You know, cost himself the season and us as well. So that's kind of some of the thoughts that went through my head.
1: I get that. Dave Roberts is joining us. I get that, and I want to reset for a moment what I said. But before I do that, Dave, I was talking to Bob Melvin on the program earlier this week, and we talked about the fact that he had removed you you Darvish in a no-hitter on Thursday and then had to do the same thing with Sean Mania the next day because of the types of things that you just mentioned. So you laid that out. You talked about the conversation you had with Clayton himself. So what's your reaction when you hear this suggestion that, yeah, but you robbed the fans of a great moment. You hurt the sport with that decision. <laughs> You've heard this. I, I said, I will say this to the very top of the program. I said, you made the right decision. I feel like you and I are fighting an uphill battle on this one. So what is your reaction when you hear that criticism?
2: I just think that I, I that's why fans are fans. And I love the passion and the care. And the thing that gets lost in all this is that I'm a fan as well. Um, but I think that when things end up not going well if they do um, then I have to uh, be responsible for that as well as Clayton himself and, and his career. and the fans don't have that burden of responsibility. So I think that that's the only ask <laughs> that have a little bit of uh, you don't know until you walk into uh, walk in a man's shoes and so but again, fans have their right they're entitled and I just I still love the passion and if people are talking about baseball Romy then I'm all about it.
1: Dave Roberts joining us. One last thought on that. I mean, you laid out what he said to you about, hey, listen, let me get through the seventh. Let's get to eighty five pitches. Did he at any point say, hey, Skip, this is really important to me. I really want this. I think I can do this. I want that perfect game. Did he did that come up at all on any level? Not at
2: all. The only thing he talked about was potentially giving Austin a chance, like which he would have if under under different circumstances given Austin Barnes uh his uh, catcher battery made the opportunity to catch a perfect game, potentially, or a no-hitter. That was the one thing he did say. But, again, I think that to look at it, out, I was taking him out at 80 pitches, but you still have to forecast and look out towards a potential eighth inning, a potential ninth inning, the stress, the up-downs. All that stuff has got to be weighed in the equation, not just the he was pulled after 80 pitches. Um, So I just think that that was the only thing he talked about. And, honestly, Romy, he really – You know, as a manager, you can talk about culture and and winning for the team, but he set the tone for the 2022 Dodgers and saying that his goal is to win a championship, not for selfish goals. So if Clayton Kershaw, first ballot Hall of Famer, can put that out there in the universe, That sends a message all the way through our clubhouse.
1: Dan Roberts, my guest, I just want to echo what you just said. Like, Kershaw was not upset that he came out. He was upset that his catcher, Austin Barnes, did not get to be on the receiving end of history. He wasn't upset that he himself didn't get to make it. I think that's a really interesting point. We are talking to Dave Roberts. So Dave, when you look at the team right now, you, I mean, expectations with the Dodgers are always high, but you made it pretty clear, like coming into this season, I feel like this is our thing. We want to get it done. We want to go all the way. We want to finish. Once again, normally a manager might not say that. Why do you feel that strongly about this particular group?
2: You know, it, it just kind of came to light yesterday in, in what Clayton said. And I just really, I know these guys inside and out. I, I know the talent. I know the character. I, I know the expectations. We all do. So I think for me, Romy, I just felt at a point uh, when the question was posed to me, um, I, I just felt that I'm not going to run from expectations because all I hear and have heard my first year with the Dodgers is it's either World Series or bust. So. Um, I, I think that when you put it out there uh, in the world, it holds you, uh, myself and everyone, even more accountable. And there's no open doors for you to make excuses and to run from. So, uh, again, I wouldn't have said it if I didn't believe in our guys. And I think this should be the goal of everyone. And um, and I believe in everyone in the clubhouse.
1: I love that. I love that. You put that out in the world and then you make yourself accountable to it. You know, you said when I asked you Dave, about well, what's your reaction to this reaction, you said, listen – I'm a fan of the game. Anything that gets anybody talking about the game of baseball is good because I'm a fan of the game. So you're a manager, but you are a fan. Being a fan, how much did the lockout bother you?
2: It bothered me a lot. It bothered me a lot. And uh, it it took to the 11th hour because I I know that our fan base, sports fans in general, were really ready to punt on on baseball. And uh, if we would have got this thing resolved, I, I think that a large part of our fan base would have punted. And, uh, and I've talked to you about it. You know, we've lost market share to the NFL, to the NBA, which I get. Um, but it, it goes to as a baseball fan, um, we got to do better. And, uh, the people that are talking about the game and we've got the best athletes, uh, and I've ever seen, uh, and the game is fantastic. So we just got to keep talking the game up and, and not always poke holes. So I think that when they're talking about Clayton Kershaw, one of the greatest of all time, one of our generation, that's a good thing. Uh, but like I said, you and I, we're both fans, too.
1: No doubt about that. He is the manager of the L.A. Dodgers. You know, Dave, it's amazing, isn't it? You're starting your seventh year with the team. I find that hard to believe because it seems like yesterday you and I were talking right after you got hired. And we talked about the history of that Dodger organization and the place that you are in that history as a pioneer I bring this up because tomorrow is Jackie Robinson Day, and you followed in his footsteps at UCLA, and now with the Dodgers. So what does Jackie Robinson Day represent to you?
2: Oh my gosh. Well, it it represents um, opportunity, equality, um, fight, toughness, respect, um, integrity, and and all that stuff, Romy, and all those kind of buzzwords that we hear, but Jackie encompasses everything, and it's like for me to wear this Dodger uniform to play baseball, as you mentioned, I went to UCLA um, to have Mookie Best, David Price in my clubhouse. We saw Byron Buxton the other day. It's like, um, you know, Rachel Robinson is going to be at Dodger Stadium tomorrow with David Robinson. Uh, it's Jackie Robinson Day. It's the 75th anniversary of him breaking the color barrier. And it's going to, there's gonna be Jackie 42 jerseys everywhere. We're gonna be going to Muir High School. I think Mookie's going there. There's a mural at another uh, uh, some other elementary school with David Price gonna be. It's a special day not only for the Dodgers, Romy, but for all of sports, baseball, men, women, equality, and uh, man. It's gonna be a special day.
1: That's awesome. Dave Roberts is joining us. That really is awesome. So one final thought. You signed that extension with the team last month. It's going to keep you with the Dodgers through 2025. Dave, you've said, quote, with anyone at different times in their lives regarding their jobs. It's like, man, is this how long do I want to do this for? I think it's a fair thought that anybody should have, quote, end of quote. I think you're right. I think we've all had those thoughts. How much thought have you given to maybe exploring what else might be out there for you?
2: You know what? Um, I I think that's a fair question. Um, I I haven't. um, I I think, and I kind of said that, and it was an honest uh, answer. And and I think that the way I I pour myself into my job, which most people do, I would assume that if I can't do that, uh, then I I, I need to move on uh, regardless of contract or status or whatever. Um, Yeah. I have thought about things after baseball, but right now all I care about is, uh, you know, hoping the Dodgers win and, um, But certainly there's going to be opportunities hopefully down the road. But um, that's kind of my honest take on things,
1: Romy. I get that. I understand that. I think that is fair. I think that is fair. And I think you are right to say that we all think about that. I mean, how can you not? And you want to make sure that you're doing it at a high level and you can give everything you have to it. He is in his seventh year with the Dodgers. He won a World Series as a player. The Dodgers are a game out of first in the NL West. Dave, I really appreciate you as always. So good to have you back on the show. You know I appreciate that conversation. Great having you back, Dave. Thanks so much.
2: Rome, you're the best. Take care, and then we'll chat soon.
1: Hey, you know, the very best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a single day. Well, the same is true when it comes to long term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the Finance Super app. It is commission free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then, automate your everyday money moves, and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them to be. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups necessary. Do this. Visit m one financecom sports That's M with the number one to sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are all proud super fans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing does involve risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. HUD understood that he might not have been the best player in the clubhouse ever, but he understood he had a role. And that role was to pick guys up. That role was to keep things light. That role was to eat bugs to make people feel better about themselves. Yeah, is that worth going back to one last time? Can we I replay that? I'm
3: sitting on the top step of the dugout at Bush Stadium, and all of a sudden, something hit my head. Felt like a peanut. Somebody hit me in the head. I took <laughs> off my hat and looked at it, and there was the most beautiful bug I ever saw in my life. Yellow, red, green, different colors. So I was tripping on this bug, and I took it off, and I showed him to my teammates on the bench. I go, look at this thing. Have you guys ever seen anything like it? And the bug wouldn't fly away. So Tom Pagnozzi cracks eat it, Hud. And I said, Ah, come on, man. And then my wheels started turning. These guys, maybe they'll pay me. So I said, okay, hey, I'll eat the bug if you pay me. And they go, okay, how about 10 bucks? And I said, shake yourself. You're a major leaguer making big iron. And you're going to offer me 10 bucks for that? I paused for a minute. I looked at him, 100 bucks, P- Pagnozzi said. I said, okay, I went down the line. Bren Smith, 100 bucks. Frank DiPino, 100 bucks. All these guys, Joe McGrain, 100, 100, 100. I got to $800, Romy, and they said, we have a stipulation. You have to chew the bug up. And I said, okay, I got a stipulation. I don't chew it up unless the money's in my hand. So here we are in the sixth inning. We're down five runs, and they get up off the bench, go into their valuable box inside, pull out their cash. They come running back out. They put the cash in my hand. I got cash in one hand, bug in the other. Heck, it was a no-brainer. I put the cash in my pocket. I popped that, that bug in my mouth like a sunflower seed, chewed it up, and showed him to my teammates on my tongue. And to, to get the reaction, I wish I had a video because my players were tripping. They were going, oh, hud,
0: look at that.
3: And as I chewed him up, he actually tasted like bacon. And it was the easiest money I ever made. So in the meantime, the team goes back out on the field we score seven runs, take the lead, and win the game. Therefore, it did its purpose. It put some, some money in the pocket of me for doing it, and it helped motivate the team to win. I call it the rally bug, and I'm so grateful you let me tell the story.
1: Hud, I am so grateful that you did tell that story. You want to talk about a story that holds up. You know when he told that story to me on this show? 2001? 20-plus years ago. Hud told that story about eating that June bug, and he told that story perfectly. Romy, it was the most beautiful bug. It was yellow, and it was red, and it was purple. I felt like something hit me in the head, like somebody threw a peanut at me, but it was a bug. I love the first guy looking at him and saying, it's like the most baseball thing ever. Eat it, Hud. Oh, There's a bug. Hud will eat it. Eat it, Hud. Pay me. Here's 10 bucks. Shake yourself. You're a major leaguer, man. 100, 100, 100, 100, 100, 800. Stipulation. You have to chew the bug. He said, Romy, it tastes like bacon. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, they come back to win the game. Such an awesome, awesome story. Why did I play that in full? Because it's an awesome story. But that in context, sometimes you hear that drop. Eat it, Hud. Alvin's got... A million and one drops, and a lot of you don't know what they reference. And I kind of tend to overlook that sometimes. I hear eat it, Hud, and I know what it means. But if you're somebody who's new to the program, or you weren't listening 20 years ago and only 10, maybe you don't know what eat it, Hud, means. That's what that means. Rex Hudler, former major leaguer, entertaining his teammates by eating bugs during games. That's a good thing a rat didn't hit him in the head. Can you imagine? Eat it, Hud. <laughs> if a Junebug's worth a hundred bucks per, what do you get for a rat? My man, Hud. He probably would have too if he thought it meant winning a game and them coming back. Hud probably would have eaten the rat. You got to chew it, and the whole thing too, man, the tail included. Hud's got his tongue out like, ah, that's a rat. That's rat, boys. Does not taste like bacon, though, Romy. It was a rat. Didn't even taste like chicken. It tasted like a rat. You imagine, though, what guys make right now? What you could get? That was way... Wh- I mean, that was 20 years ago. I mean, you saw the name drops. The guys, like, McGrain, Pagnazzi, I mean, <laughs> Topino. That, that was back in the day... Tom Pagnazzi. When, when major leaguers made what they made. Brent Smith. And they made what they made. They made a lot of money, but... Making what they make right now, if a rat were to fly and hit a guy in the head, he'd probably be like, hey, hey, we'll give you a grand. Tanger, Tanger, Tanger. Ne- Romy. Next thing you know, there's a quarter of a mill sitting there on that bench. I could retire if I just get this rat down. Eat it, huh? Yeah, we got stipulation. You can't puke the rat back up. Hey, listen, skincare can be really complicated, especially for men who have never had a skincare routine. This is where Tiege Hanley comes in. Tiege Hanley is a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. Every single box comes with an instruction card that tells you when to use each product, how much to use, and in what order. I'll tell you what, you should start with the level one system. It is the easiest way to get started, and it comes with all of the basics that guys need to take care of their skin. I'm telling you, I love the product, because I was one of those guys, even as somebody who's on TV or in front of a camera, I never really had that great routine, and now I do. And I do because of Tiege Hanley. Listen. Because Teige Hanley is sponsoring today's app, they are offering you an amazing deal. Just go to teige.com/rome and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's t-i-e-g-e.com/rome. T-i-e-g-e.com/rome. slash rome is an amazing deal. slash rome Alexander Volkanovsky is my guest. Alexander, it's really good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm very good, mate. I'm very good. How are you? Good, dude. Good. It's great to have you on. So you beat the Korean zombie on Saturday night. It was a dominant performance. What have the last few days been like for you? And how do you go about celebrating a big win like that?
4: Oh man, yeah, just, be, yeah, just soaking it up. You know, soaking up the big win. Uh, obviously, had a couple of drinks uh, straight after after it, but uh, now just uh, we're in New York. Now
1: I'm in LA, just soaking up the sun and uh,
4: chatting to you guys.
1: I love it. You earned it. Let me ask you about that fight. It looked like you were connecting with almost everything you threw, and he took a lot of punishment. Herb Dean stopped that fight early in the fourth round. Listen, given the business you're in, this seems like a very strange question I would even pose. But in a way, were you at all relieved that you did not have to keep doling out that punishment?
4: Yeah, to be honest, I was at that point. uh, As you said, I was landing a lot and often. Uh, but I mean he he showed you know why you know why he has has that name why well, he lived up to that name the zombie he just kept coming uh even though I was uh, landing some big shots had him hurt a lot of times and he just kept getting back up which uh, you know credit to him for having a chin like that but sometimes uh, these people have a, a for their own good, you know what I mean and uh you know I just felt like it was unnecessary for me to do any more further damage so I was very happy when they heard uh, did his job and did it well, and, and stopped the fight. I
1: mean, Alexander. To that point, did you actually say to him, "Are you sure you want to keep going"? And if you said that, what prompted you to say that? And then what did he say to you in response?
4: Yeah, I did. I said, uh, "You really want to keep uh, doing this or something like that?" I remember saying. And then he's like, sort of nodded. He nodded his he- uh, head and said, "Yes." I'm like, "Are you sure?" Like, you know what I mean? Because I could see that he was he was defeated. Obviously, he was landing a lot of shots, and things just weren't going his way. Um, I know he tried to, you know, mix things up uh, each round, but, you know, I had an answer for everything. So, uh, obviously, that that's tough. And I could see it in his face. I felt like he, he knew he was defeated. And he was just in there at that point, uh, just sort of surviving. And uh, I thought he, he was maybe uh you know, maybe asking in, in a way where, you know, for the ref or the doctors to maybe stop it. So, uh, I guess that just made me ask him, you know, are you sure you want to keep doing this? Like, you can stop this, but, I mean, obviously a warrior he is, and I don't think many people could do that. So it's not really up to the fighter to make that decision. It's up to the corner and the, the refs. So they didn't really give him that out, so I had to do my thing, and lucky I uh, uh, didn't let it go uh, much
1: further than he did. Yeah, that's a really interesting response by you. You're right. Fighters are not – I mean, nobody's going to stop, right? You're, you guys are just a different breed, yeah. and yet sometimes you have to save the fighter from himself. Let me go back to a couple of fights – when you fought Brian Ortega he had you in a couple of holds. there was a guillotine and then the triangle in the guillotine and I'm kind of curious like at any point were you I mean you got out of it and fought brilliantly were you in trouble at any point and think to yourself man I'm close to going out this is a real problem
4: oh yeah in the the guillotine uh, definitely it was a very it was close you know and I'm I'm, I'm finally admitting that like he put me in a a real uh, deep uh, situation you know I, mean, uh, I was definitely struggling but you know that that just shows you that the type of guy I am the, the diversity, and the you know being comfortable and uncomfortable what I'm all about you know I always talk about this and you know people uh, know me by this and that was just a perfect example because it was deep you uh, know it was deep where I felt like oh no like I need to try and make a little bit of space otherwise I'm going to sleep you know the lights were dimming as, as I've been saying and um, it was really close but I'm stubborn I'm really stubborn. I was like, uh-uh, I'm going to do what I can, make it just enough uh, space to, uh, you know, get that uh, blood and oxygen to the brain. And uh, his arms will go out before I do. Uh, that's sort of uh, where I was at with it, you know, and I was stubborn and uh, I didn't give in. And, uh, you know, he, he obviously uh, couldn't hold on that long and that was it. That was, that was when I got out
1: that's amazing and like you just said for those who know you they know what you're about you've also said something really interesting i think when you said that you're not second guessing yourself anymore it seems to me that's something or a place that a lot of us would like to get to how were you able to get to that place what changed
4: oh man it was a a bit a bit had to to change i think because obviously you know you're gonna have uh you know, sports sites like that can help with that. But, I mean, uh, you know, you, we know these things, right? We know about uh, not focusing on uh, negative and all that. You hear this time and time again, but sometimes we need to just do something about it and, uh, you know, be a little bit more ruthless with it at the same time. Uh, I felt like that's where where it was for me, and confidence was a big, big uh, factor in that as well. And just uh, just being, yeah, man, uh, that, that confidence and, and not really... That's hard to explain. Obviously, I, obviously I care. That's just the, that's the type of guy I am. But, I mean, being yeah, man, not second-guessing. If I make a decision, be comfortable with it, move on. Move on with uh, whatever's going on. Stop looking back. Stop second-guessing. Stop holding yourself back because of something you may have said or something that might have happened. It's already been done. Uh, make improvements from there, but don't keep looking back. Don't let it hold you back. Uh, it was just really a real understanding of that, and I think confidence had a lot to do with that.
1: Oh, I get that response. I get that that stuff that happened already, it's not serving you. Don't use that. Let that go. I get that response perfectly. Let me get your thoughts on this. What's your reaction when you hear Henry Cejudo tweeting about you and people talking about him getting a shot at you? In your opinion, has he done enough to earn that, or does it feel like he's trying to cut the line to get that shot?
4: Well, um, I mean, you can't blame him. Obviously, yeah, he has done some great things in the sport, but I mean, at the same time, uh, you, know, it's, you know, he's never been in this division and all that, so Look, a lot of I'm, I'm surprised how many many people are asking me about it. So there is an, there is interest. So uh, I'll take that. Uh, I'm noticing that. But I mean, at the same time, I think he's in a lot better position than uh, a lot of the contenders. Where I feel like he could just have maybe one, and then he gets that title shot. You know, what I mean, he's still in a good position. But to just walk straight into a title, uh, you know, I don't think that's fair on uh, my division. You know, the contenders in my division, and it can. Fair to, to a lot of people because uh, you, need, you need to earn that spot. And like I said, he's done great things. I reckon he earns a spot straight into a title shot in his own division that he was, flyweight or bantamweight, but not, 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 uh, not featherweight.
1: Yeah, Alexander Volkanovsky joining me for a few more moments. So then you got lightweight champ Charles Oliveira going up against Justin Gaethje next month. Fascinating fight. Amazing fight. How do you see that fight going, and then how do you think you would fare against the winner?
4: Well, that's what I want too. I want the winner of that, that sure. fight. You know what I mean? Uh, who do I think is going to win? I think it's 50-50. I really do. Uh, you know, I think uh, who has, uh, if I had to lean towards someone, maybe uh, Oliveira, just because he's got a couple more uh, options like to get the win, maybe. Uh, but I mean, in saying that, when I say like, you know, you know, I want that, that title file, I just talked to you about earning and deserving it when we talked about Sahuda, where I, uh, I haven't called for uh, a shot, you know, at the double champ status. You know, we're uh, moving up and doing that because you need to earn that. You know, to earn that right. You can't just get the belt and then want to move up. I've uh, had four title fights. You know, I'm defended. I'm uh, defended three times. You know what I mean? I've got three rubies on this belt. I'm in a good position. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I don't mean it's in disrespect, but I'm like, walking through the last couple of my defe- uh, my my opponents. So I think I'm in a decent position to call for that. You know what I mean? I'm I'm a fair person. You know, I don't call uh, shots if I don't think I deserve it. It's all about earning it. And I don't like things given to me, but I think I've earned the opportunity to, to go for that uh, double team status.
1: Alexander, I'm going to say it for you, and I'm not going to say it because I'm talking to you. You have earned it. You've cleaned out that division. Yeah. You've beaten Max twice. You certainly have earned that. In fact, with those rubies on that belt, you still have a lot of fights in you, but do you ever think about your legacy and how you fit into the history of MMA? And is that important to you?
4: It is. It is very important to me now. You know, it's something that I never talked about much. I'm growing so much. You know, I'm just a, as as I say, I'm a regular bloke from a small town, right? So I am from a small town. I I didn't know half the things I knew now. I didn't get the whole entertainment business. I didn't get the legacies. I didn't get, you know what I mean? It's hard to explain, but I didn't really get a real understanding of what all that's about. And now I am through, you know, being in this situation, being champ and seeing what I'm seeing now. Um, I'm really growing into this whole legacy you know? and obviously family is everything to me. You know, I want to be successful and look after my family. Now, you leave a legacy behind, your family can live off that legacy forever. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't want to just look after my family while I'm in the sport. I want to be able to leave this sport, have a legacy, be in history books, all that type of stuff and not just that, look after my family because of the, le- le- the legacy I left behind. So, uh, that's uh, that's where I'm at with that. So, again, I'm I am growing to it and that's why you're hearing me talk about legacy a lot more now. You're hearing me talk about double champ status, pound for pound number one, uh, the GOAT of you know my division, the GOAT of the UFC, all that type of stuff because I want my name in the history books, and you know I want people talking about me forever.
1: I love that line about if you leave your legacy behind, your family can live off that legacy forever. Before you go, I'm not sure all of our listeners know this, but truth is you literally used to be a rugby player at 200 pounds. What kind of a rugby player were you, and what was that like at 200 pounds?
4: Two hundred and fourteen pounds right? uh, so uh Incredible. yeah, so you could imagine well I'm uh, five foot six you know five foot six if i'm lucky, uh you know what I mean so it's yeah, it just shows you it just shows you you know like uh, again, I was obviously a solid dude, but the position I played was a uh, front row prop, we call it, so it's uh it's the biggest guys on the field, you know what I mean that's the position you usually your biggest humans you have uh in that sport, they're playing the position I played in. You know, yeah, I was heavy, but I was very small for that size. But it just shows you, again, we talk about my mentality and what I'm all about. Like, I've always, um, you know, proved myself. I've always, uh, you know, like, even though I was, I've been underestimated my whole life as well, obviously being smaller and that, but I mean, I've always proved myself time and time again. And, that, uh, you know, even me playing that sport, you're seeing that coming to the sport I am now. You know, that same mentality is like, I don't care how much bigger these guys are, I've got that never-die attitude, bring it on. I'll prove them wrong time and time again. So, um, you know, it was a a big part of my life, but now I've obviously moved on to bigger and better things. Being the champion is good. It's been real good to me, so we're just going to keep that rolling.
1: Absolutely incredible. You are the champ. And right number two, pound for pound in the world. He has won 21 straight, including 11 straight in the UFC. Alexander Volkanovsky joining us. My man, I know that you were going to come in studio. I'm sorry that we couldn't put that together, but it's so, so good to talk to you. I really appreciate that. And I would love the opportunity to sit down and do it in person soon. Thank you so much for the conversation.
4: No worries at all, my man. Thank you.
1: Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Errol Spence Jr. joins us. Errol, nice to have you on. How are you? How you going? I'm doing good, man. I can't complain. I'm blessed. Good. Good to hear it. So tell me, you're two days out from your third main event in your hometown of Dallas, this time against Dennis Ugas. You had your public workout yesterday. Like, how are you feeling, and how has fight week been going?
5: Uh, fight week been going great. Um, I got a nutritionist. I'm ahead of schedule, and uh, I'm on weight. So uh, everything's going great. Fight, we've been going good. It'll be even better after
1: the weigh-in. <laughs> everything's always better after the weigh-in. Let me ask you this. Like, there's almost nobody on the planet who has experienced what you're going to experience yet again on Saturday night when you enter the ring at AT&T Stadium in front of tens of thousands of fans in your hometown. Can you describe what that feels like when you first step between the ropes in that situation?
5: Um, it's, it's an amazing feeling. It's basically electricity, especially from your fans and me being at home and fighting at home. You know, I get, I get a, a jolt of energy from the crowd, them cheering loud and, or I land a big punch and they start cheering. So uh, I'm just very fortunate and grateful to be fighting at home, especially in front of a big crowd at the AT&T stadium, which is, you know, which is humongous.
1: You know, Spence Jr. is joining us. Now, you told my guy, Kevin Aioli, that this is the happiest you've been in camp ever. What is it about this camp or maybe this time in your life that makes you so happy?
5: Um, just getting another chance to box because I just had eye surgery, a torn retina, and um, just getting a, another opportunity to crack at, to fight again, and, and to be fighting at home. And I, I have a nutritionist now, so... It's been going a lot smoother, me dropping weight and losing weight and drinking water and doing all the right things to make sure that I'm at my best come Saturday night.
1: You know, Spence Jr., my guest, I'm going to ask you about that nutrition in a minute, but you mentioned your eye. For those who don't know or don't remember, you were going to fight Manny Pacquiao last August, and then you suffered that detached retina. It's something that could have ended your career, so how scary was that time?
5: Um, it was. It was definitely scary, but they caught it, they said it was slightly torn. And I know that Sugar Leonard, he had a torn retina about 30, 40, 40, probably 40 years ago, and they fixed that. So I know that, you know, we're we're way ahead of the schedule on, on um, you know, retina surgery and things like that. So once they fixed it, um, I took a little time off, about two, three months to let my eye recover. And uh, it was right back to training 24-7. So it was now I training since January I've been training and just focused 100%. But it was definitely a point in my life where, you know, I was like, man, I got to do something else now because I'm not going to ever be able to box.
1: You know, Spence Jr. joining us. You mentioned Ray Leonard. Man, Ray Leonard is not only one of my favorite boxers, he's one of my favorite athletes ever. Are you a Ray Leonard guy? And, like, when you watch old tapes or clips of him fighting, what kind of thoughts do you have?
5: I'm definitely a Ray Leonard guy. You know, that's, that's like the golden era of boxing. And Ray Leonard, he was, he was electrifying in the ring. You know, how to punch his combination, he throw, and just his grit and his power and his strength and his speed. So uh, I watch Ray Leonard a lot. I like him. Um, love him as a fighter. He's an even better person now. And, uh, you know, I, I speak to him on occasion, and we talk to now and then.
1: You and I are on the same page. I love Ray. I loved him as a fighter. I love him as a guy. And he, he I mean, I—I want to say that he didn't get enough credit for his grit because, man, he just was so flashy in the way he put his punches together and so athletic. But, man, this guy had such tremendous heart. And if anybody could uh, finish a show and and dig deep and find that one thing when you think you've got nothing left, it was him. Errol, is there any part of you that's disappointed that you never got that chance to fight Pacquiao?
5: Um. Yeah, I was I was a little disappointed, but you know I realized you know a lot of stuff that happened in my life, and I feel like stuff happened for a reason, and uh, you know it gets you to gets you to another point. So I don't know how it would have played out. You know, if I would have fought with a detached retina and a pack out would end of my career permanently. So I'm just glad that they caught it in time. And
1: um, now I'm able to uh, continue my career. Huge fight coming up this weekend, pay-per-view. In fact, I've got a couple of those that that I can still give away. Now, you mentioned that there have been a lot of things that have happened in your life. I thought you had a really, really interesting appearance on the Pivot podcast with Ryan Clark and Channing Crowder and Fred Taylor. In that conversation, you talked about a really scary car accident back in 2019 when you were charged with DWI and how that served as a wake-up call for you. As you look back on that time, what kind of thoughts do you have about your life at that point?
5: Um, it basically just you know don't take you know life is fragile when you're a young guy, you know basically on top of the world I mean you think you're superman, but uh you know in certain instances you know God can bring you back down to 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 the surface and make you realize that you know that you know life is guaranteed to everybody and you know and you gotta cherish the people in your life and the things in your life, you know, why you're here. So it definitely uh, put a lot of things in perspective. And, uh, and it gave me the opportunity just to sit down and put a lot of things in in perspective.
1: Darrell Spence Jr. is my guest. Big fight coming up this weekend. So you mentioned you're a nutritionist a couple of times. I don't know that a lot of people know this, but like when you're not in camp, obviously your walk-around weight is not going to be the same as your fighting weight. I mean, ideally, you'd like to stay at the same weight, but you were actually getting up around 80, 85, but fighting at 47, yet you still haven't lost. What was it like to walk around at that weight, have to cut it? And by the way, how were you still winning doing those things?
5: Um, well, I mean, it, it was, I mean, when you get real big and heavy like that and, uh, you know, you got to lose the weight. I got to lose that in probably like eight weeks and, you know, wearing sauna suits and running twice a day, working out all the time and barely eating and drinking, you know, it's, it's very hard. And, um, I'm lucky to have a lot of, I, didn't have, I really didn't have discipline out of camp, but in camp, I had super disciplined where, you know, I stick to my regimen and I try to lose the weight and lose it. I've never missed weight anything or anything, but it is definitely hard. And um, I will advise any boxer, especially young guys coming up, that boxing sports overall is a 24-7 grind. Like, even when it's off season or you're not training, and you still got to be cognizant of what you eat and what you drink, drinking, you know, working out and things like that. It's a, it's a balance to everything.
1: It's a lifestyle. I like it. Errol Spence Jr. joining us. Your father has been a huge part of the journey. Now, you know this, right? In, we all know this in boxing. That does not always work out when fathers and sons work together. What's it been like for you, and how has that kind of shaped the relationship you and he have? Um.
5: I call my dad. My dad's like my shadow. Um, I say because, you know he's always he's always behind me, and uh, always making sure I'm good. And uh, I feel like we work because, you know, he's not one of those dads that's just super bossy. It's his way or the highway. You know, we we uh, we actually had a conversation about stuff and you know run stuff by each other. Or he thinks I should do this, and I think I should do that. And we'll sometimes, you know, I'll agree with him or he'll agree with me or we we'll agree to disagree. But, you know, with me and my dad, you know, he treats me more like a man instead instead of just, you know, a little kid.
1: Listen, I got to ask you something. I'm a watch guy, and watch guys have to stick together. Dude, did I see you rocking an AP Royal Oak Offshore the other day? And if so, how do you like that piece? <laughs>
5: Uh, yeah, I, I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you should, I man. love, love watching.
1: Dude, I know you like, you should like that piece. That's a really nice piece. Are you an AP guy exclusively, or do you shop around and get some other pieces?
5: Uh, I shop around.
1: Because you can, yeah. man. You're the champ. So, no <laughs> way I let you go without a prediction. You've said that you're planning on knocking Ugas out. Why is it important to finish the show like that, and what round do you think that will go down?
5: Um... I don't have a round I think it go down but, you know, I'm in it to put on a great performance and a great showing especially in front of my hometown crowd and just coming back off off my injuries. So haven't been in the ring for a while, so I wanna get a fan something to look for in the future.
1: All right, that's coming up. That's 9pm Eastern on Showtime Pay-Per-View. It's coming up on Saturday night. Spence Jr. versus Ugas to unify that championship. Errol, great to have you back on the show. Appreciate it. Gonna be watching on Saturday. Good luck. Can't wait to see how it goes. Thank you. We go there right now quickly. Matt in LA. Yo, Matt, what's up?
6: That's the Matt. Hey, thanks for the vine. From Tarzana to Tampa. From St. Pete to Phil Moore. You're welcome. Especially my man, Dave Roberts, the best manager in baseball. He of the 622 winning percentage as the Dodger skipper. And you know I got Doc Roberts back, just like you in the jungle got my back, Jim Rome. But that's not why I called, Jim. I called because I heard there was some Gasparilla Pirate Festival attending gas bag. Jack Sparrow cosplaying chump Named Mikey in Tampa Bay, calling your boy Matt in L.A. out yesterday in the beef segment. Man, this Chumpa Bay cabin boy better focus on himself and the other 12 Tampa Bay Ray fans. Because I handle more beef in the jungle than Sam the Butcher did when he was bringing Alice the meat on the Brady Bunch, Mikey. So you don't want none of this smoke, you Tampa Bay tramp. I'll take over your house just like Yankee fans take over the trop every time they're in town, you puke. So you can map that out on TomTom, Tom, you gameless sap. I'm Matt in L.A., and you're not. All right, P Trapper. Outro.
1: <laughs> JC in L.A. JC, what's going on? How are you?
0: Yo, what's crackalackin', Romy? What's
1: up, twice dude? In
0: the, twice in the same week. But, of course, if I say... Different on the name, I don't want to get run, so we're going to leave it at JC, but it's all good in the name. My man, my <laughs> man.
1: Dude, you deserve so much better. My bad, my sorry, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> man, you know, dude, Dave Roberts, you know, I've criticized the dude, you know, during the time. He's been a great manager on one side, but, of course, in my opinion, as telling as the Dodgers have been over all these years, they should have more than one World Series. I'll take that 2020 World Series in the short season. No asterisk, all you Dodger haters. But it's time to win another one. And what he did yesterday, pulling Clayton Kershaw emotionally, I didn't like it. But it was the right thing to do. With Clayton's history of injury, including last year, not being in the postseason. Him blowing out his back, his arm, his shoulder, and he has been an absolute warrior. Remember in 2017, he came in after two days rest and took the Nationals out in the NLCS. He did the same thing in uh, 2017 in that series against Milwaukee when he won game five and came back and relieved in game seven. So all the Clayton Kershaw haters in the past, you stay off of his back. But Dave did the right thing looking at the bigger picture. But look at the picture now. The Dodgers need to win. Right? Heck, the Giants got three World Series. And we all know we hate the battery chuckers. But it's time for us to put another one in our hip pocket, get uh, the next World Series, and make sure that, we, that everybody know that that 2020 has no asterisk. So, Dave, you called your shot, and, of course, you should have. Now you deliver on that shot. I don't care if they do it from the wild card, the second wild card, the division, it doesn't matter. All I care is the last baseball game at the end of the year, the Dodgers need to win it. And if they do that, we get another World Series and we'll make my man Tommy Lasorda a lot happier. Hand me your business, Dave. You said you were going to do it. Now go out and do it. Dodger fan here, do much better than the other team from L.A. just did it. I'm
1: out. My man. Casey, he's <laughs> <you're> so funny. <laughs> did you see what he did at the, at the top of that call? I said, JC, what's going on? He's like, well, actually, second call this week, believe it or not, I'm not going to correct you because I don't want to get run. <laughs> that was a great <laughs> old school move by him. A great old school caller whose name I got wrong because Chalk, I'm not passing the buck, but Chalk just didn't hear it correctly and doesn't know him. <laughs> But he didn't correct me because he knew Alvin would run him for quote correcting the host. I don't know, Alvy, would you? Maybe not to an old school OG like that. Is that a yes you would you would have or a no you would not have? <laughs> Alvin goes, I would've run him. <laughs> Never mind that the guy's probably called this show over twenty years and I got his name wrong. D- no, dude, don't correct the host. Yeah, but we got his name wrong. Dude, don't correct the host. <laughs> J.C., K.C., M.C., L.G. Good night.